This is the way, walk in it. Let me translate here. Whenever you stray to the right hand or whenever you stray to the left. This is what God promises. So you can begin to choose His way when you trust that His way is better than your own. And that is the first step to knowing the way of God. In fact, I'll say to you, until we come to that conviction that His way is better than our way and we shall repudiate our way and embrace His and His alone, there's no hope of knowing the will of God. Hope comes when we turn away from our way and our only option and our only choice is the way of God. Now that's true when it comes to how we orient ourselves to God. He says the only way is through Christ. I'm not offering other options here. When it comes to holiness and purity in all areas of life, whether it's at work or sexuality or whatever it may be, His way in His way alone. When it comes to financial priorities, when it comes to how we arrange and order our lives, our relationship with this Word, our relationship with this church, our relationship and family, we can know the way of God when we repudiate our way and embrace His and His alone as our only alternative. And here in this text, God gives us good reasons. Now, some of them might be a little strange this morning, but I think you'll be glad he's articulated it in this way in Isaiah chapter 30. So why is the Lord's way better? Well, there are several reasons. One, because the Lord's way is a contrary way. Now, that might be an odd thing to hear, but indeed it is. In verses 1 through 7, we find that Judah was going to Egypt for help. Now, that made perfectly good sense in that day. Judah was in need militarily and economically and otherwise And so they were looking towards going to help or going to ask help from Pharaoh. And that made sense in that century, in that time of the earth, because Egypt was a great superpower. Economically, it was advanced. Uh, In its infrastructure, both intellectually and otherwise, it was a powerhouse in the world. And everyone else was going to Egypt. Yet God says in chapter 30, verse 1, Woe to rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me and to devise plans but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. And this is merely in their decision making. Who walk down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. And he continues in that vein all the way down to verse number 7. And the Lord says then, The truth is, my way may be at times contrary to common sense. That's not always the case, but in this case it was. I need to caution you and warn you as you make decisions. Your heart and mind have the capacity to conspire against you in wise decision making. They do. In fact, when Jesus Christ came to the earth, leaders and family of Jesus looked at him And they came to a shocking conclusion. Mark 3.21, John 7.20, John 10.20. They looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and said, There is the devil. Or his family said, He's out of his mind. That is what the heart and mind outside the will of God is capable of concluding. So it's entirely possible to see the right and say that's wrong. And to see the wrong and say that's right. And that is precisely what happened in the ministry of Jesus. And that's what happens here in verses 1 through 7. And so he goes on in verses 8 through 11. And 
that the uh, way of the Lord is not only contrary to the common sense of that day, but also civilized society. Chapter 30, verses 8 through 11, the people attempt to silence the preachers. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Because in verse 10 it says, Who say to the seers, those that God would give insight to and preach, Do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy or preach to us right things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy deception. Let's let the preachers be quiet. We've had enough of them. We don't need need to hear anymore. Listen to me. No one ever rejected the Lord's way because they thought it was wise. No one ever embraced their way of death because they thought thought it was foolish. We embrace the wise, we reject the foolish according to our own. But I've got to say, if we ever come to the point where we reject the way of God, we are entirely wrong all the time. There is never a circumstance in life, no matter what it is, where it is ever appropriate to reject the way of the Lord. The Lord declares His way is better for everyone, but I've got to say to you, He does not promise it's popular with anyone. Ray Ortland comments on this passage and he says, God is saying that the conventional wisdom of our culture, which magnifies human potential and human virtue and human smarts, is stupid. He is saying that the inner fullness we all desire comes from outside ourselves, not within. God is saying that our initial reaction to real truth might be irritation and disbelief, may very well be. Oftentimes, the way of God is contrary. Proverbs 14, 12 is a verse your whole family needs to memorize. It says, there's a way that appears right unto um, a man, but the end of the way is death. There's a way which appears right to a man, but the end of the way is death. I'd say the contrary is true, to paraphrase Jesus in Mark 8. There's a way which appears foolish, but the end of the way is life. So when God ends up declaring a word to you and giving you guidance and direction, do not be surprised if it collides with what you already think. Now you may be saying, well, this is unreasonable. I would reply, but God knows everything and you do not. He's never made a mistake. We have made plenty. He's never had to apologize, but we have or we should. He has an impressive track record, as old as the human race. Ours is mixed as best. God has never gotten lost or needed a map, and we need them every day. The best counsel is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, another verse your whole family needs to memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and what, church? Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. It's a contrary way oftentimes, but it's better also because it's a cautionary way. Now, this is verses 12 through 17. God warns them, if you choose your own way, you'll become like, in verse 12, an unstable wall that's about to collapse. A broken pot, a pot was used to carry fire and water, and God would break Judah so badly they couldn't carry either. And then a cowardly, deserting soldier in verses 16 to 17. Look look at the stark language God uses in verse number 17 about deserting soldiers, what Judah would become like if they didn't follow his way but chose their own. Look at verse 17. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you, all the entire army, shall flee. To your left is a pole on top of a mountain all by yourself as a banner on a hill. 
the future, and I don't mean to inspire a country song here, but the future of those who choose their own way is full of a whole lot of hurting. There's a whole lot of crying, languishing, and leaving when you choose your own way over God's way. Now, here's the remarkable thing. God cares for us, so He cautions us about this. I want to say to you, when you read the challenging and the intense and the threatening passages of Scripture, don't be discouraged by that. Take warning, but note this. God always warns before He judges, before He disciplines, before He chastises. All the way through Scripture, and in this case with Judah, beloved, He warned for nearly 400 years, four centuries, and kept pouring out caution after caution with marvelous patience and strong affections for Judah, and He warned them. Now, why in the world would God warn a people that discipline and chastisement is coming? God does this because He doesn't want to execute it. He's hoping and appealing to people to repent and change their ways. In fact, He was willing to wait for centuries until they got the message. This is what God does. God would rather forgive and God would rather save and God would rather cleanse than judge any day. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. And so his caution is a tremendous comfort. So what wise person would choose his own way or her own way instead of the Lord's? But God's way is better not only because it's cautionary, not only because it's contrary, but it also because it's compelling. Oh, it's marvelously compelling, graciously compelling. In verses 18 to 26, 26 he makes this clear uh, over and over again. This is a long section, but he makes tremendous promises if they will embrace his way. In, in verse number 18, he promises unbounded love through mercy and grace. In verse 19, a new stability in life so they'd be settled. In, in verse 20, teachers who could really deliver the goods and teach. In verse 21, correction whenever they got it wrong or guidance. Verse 22, insight into how things really are. The ability to discern good and evil and make firm decisions. Uh, Productivity in verses 23 through 25. And then restoration extending throughout the entire land and into the heavens in verse number 26. So the the Lord makes promises to Judah if they'll choose His way over their own that are specific and they are measurable. Now, why is it that God does that? Why does He make promises that are specific and measurable? Because He can. He puts His proverbial neck on the line and says, this is specifically what I will do in the future. I am so much Master, I'm so much Lord, I'm so much God, I can control the future, I can determine what will happen. You and I cannot. We we cannot predict the rains. We cannot predict the movement of the heavens. We cannot predict what someone else will do or the quality of someone else's teaching. We cannot predict the circumstances that will give us insight. We're not capable of making specific, detailed, measurable promises with complete certainty about the future. God is because He is the Lord of all, even the future. God is able to do it. So no area of life escapes the reach of His blessing. He can bless anything, anyone. Anytime, 
any place, anywhere, and He can improve your walk with Him no matter what the circumstances. There's not a person here then. There's not a marriage here then. There's not a family here then. There is not a, an employer or employer here then. There's not a breathing soul here then that if he or she did not choose the way of the Lord over his or her own that is helpless or hopeless, God can come through under every circumstance. He is compelling. And so he can enlighten. He can do these things. He is compelling. His, his love and his reach, his lordship and his sovereignty are such that he then is worthy of our trust. Hey, God can make these kinds of promises, but none of us could without looking like fools. None of us ever could. So what right-thinking person would ever choose his way or her way over the Lord's? Romans 8.32 speaks of Jesus and his death and makes a lesser than, greater than argument. And the argument is there if God does the greater thing for those who are lesser in his sight. Won't he do lesser things for those who are now greater in his sight? And he's talking about the cross for sinners and blessings for his children. And here's how Paul articulates it in Romans 8.32. He says, He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Jesus would put it this way, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Back in the World War II era, the Alcon Highway was built from Alaska to Canada. Al, Alaska, Can, Canada. It's 200 miles long. And it was a major highway of 200 miles that allowed Alaskans to travel into Canada. Initially, it was not paved. And in the winter, ruts that had been made in the wet road and the mud would freeze and create ruts. And the Department of Transportation in Alaska then put up signs that cautioned drivers that said, be careful of the rut you choose, you will be in it for 200 miles. I would say to you, be careful of what you choose today. You could be in it for a long time, perhaps even an eternity. The God who gave His only begotten Son is pleading with you and compelling you in your spirit today. Perhaps that's come through a spouse or a child, some Bible verses you memorize, some church services that you remember. could be from a sense of restlessness in your own heart. But one way or another, He's compelling you to come and to choose His way and repudiate your own. The greatest need then today is repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever trusted anyone? Well, if so, there's hope for you. Because you can certainly trust Jesus Christ. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever changed your mind about anything important? Well, then there's hope for you. If, if you did it because of your own thinking, if you did it because someone else's advice or counsel, then you can certainly do it with God this morning. Uh, the first item is called trust. If you've trusted anyone, certainly you can trust a Savior who would bleed for you and rise again from the dead. He is worthy, by the way, 
Oh, it would be a terrible, unqualified evil today to turn him away and not trust his death and resurrection. Surely you wouldn't do that today. And then, changing your mind, that's the meaning of the word repentance. If you've ever done that because someone else has bid you to or encouraged you to, or because of your own thinking processes, don't you think you can do that now that God is urging that upon you? To turn away from you? Oh, certainly you can. No right-thinking person then would commit such an unqualified, unthinkable, nasty evil as to say, no, God, I will not change. You wouldn't do that today, would you? We're going to give you the opportunity today to turn to Him and to choose the right path according to the Lord's way. Would you quickly stand with me, please, and let's pray about it. Father, we want to thank You for the good news of Your Word. Thank You that You promise us and tell us that if we ever stray to the right or to the left hand, we'll hear a word, this is the way, walk in it. And some have heard that today. Some sure do want to hear it. And I want to pray that you'll give our friends the sensitivity, the surrender, the trust, and the vehement repentance today to turn to Christ and say yes to Him. There are others that know Him that need to become part of Beach Haven. That's going to require some changes, and we pray for grace there. Others need to change the direction of their lives. They walk with you at one time, but have drifted and can't hardly tell that they belong to you. Would you help them to change as well? Others, oh God, may need to surrender to ministry or missionary service. What, whatever it is, God, that our friends need today, including the one praying, I pray that you'd be so kind as to put us on your map. Unknown to many, but oh God, it's known to you. Bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. And as you keep praying and talking to God, we'll have staff here standing at the front. And that decision that you'll make today, would you come make it in just a moment when we sing? Come meet a staff member, share your decision, and we will help you. Let's sing together.